0: Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Conner. Before we get started, I want to thank my sponsor partner, the Association of Commercial Professionals Life Sciences. ACPLS provides marketing, sales, and customer service professionals an international forum for the exchange of knowledge, including opportunities for ongoing education, networking, and professional development. Those networking and development opportunities have been very valuable to me personally, and I believe would be equally valuable to anyone listening to this podcast. To learn more, visit acp-ls.org. And while you're there, subscribe to the newsletter to receive content and activity updates. Now, let's get back to the show. Okay, I have an interesting topic for you today. My guest is Jonathan Price. And Jonathan has worked with an A to Z of big-name clients, and he regularly teaches online classes in information architecture, content management, XML, as well as technical and web writing. And today we're going to talk about managing structured content through XML, which he'll explain, for customer acquisition, retention, and satisfaction. This episode, you'll notice, starts very abruptly. I was asking him some questions in advance about life science websites that I had pointed him toward as an example, and I was already recording. We got well into the conversation, so I decided to just let him keep going. Jonathan is explaining what he looks for and what he found with respect to how a user might look for answers on your site.
1: I wanted to see what uh, what exactly is life sciences uh, and what kind of challenges do they face in marketing. So I took took a look and one of the things that really struck me was we'd been talking about the need for starting with what customers want to know, the the kind of questions they have, their needs, at different points in the life cycle of the sale. And obviously it's great to start out by having questions and answers. So one of the things that I, I look for is a good FAQ. And I think a lot of customers think, okay, it's more like a conversation. So I'm more willing to go to an FAQ. The problem that I ran into when I've, I've looked at some of the life sciences sites is that there are an awful lot of questions and an awful lot of answers. And so it's hard to find the particular question that I have um, in the midst of all of these um, many, many, many good answers. Let, let me give you an example. On one site, there's a search, and the whole idea is really good because clearly scientists like search. They prefer search to browse. They feel like they're going to be able to pinpoint what they want. Um, And so you need some form of advanced search. And what this group was doing was saying, okay, first tell me what kind of resource you want, like an FAQ, a protocol, uh, selection tools, troubleshooting guide anything. So you pick one. I picked FAQ, and now, okay, now you can also refine your search by putting in a project name or number, an application uh, such as cellular analysis or cloning, DNA amplification. You put the, you select that or you have a category uh, such as cellular analysis or glycobiology. Okay, so you now you hit submit, and for, say, application, cellular analysis, 101 results, cloning, 1,160 results, DNA amplification, 465 results, and there they all are, this big, 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 big list, and if you're really lucky and patient, you can find maybe your question, maybe you won't. Um, so, the problem is that they, they don't let you dig any deeper. And so you're stuck at a, at a level where you're not going to likely find your question or get the answer you want. Now, that is a real problem, is addressing what customers want. It means that they're not going to, they come to your site, they, they do a preliminary search, and they get too many answers. So we're used to saying, okay, well, this one solution to that is a more advanced search, where you offer more categories to refine the search. Um, That's okay, but you can't predict when you have, like, in some companies there are, say, a dozen different categories, a dozen different application areas. It's hard to predict which one of those someone might care about. So, the, the challenge is you've got too much information, how are you going to make it easier to find? And one of the, an analogy is uh, buying shoes online. Uh, have you ever been to Zappos? Yes. Okay, so they have at least 10 different menu systems they all take you down to that one perfect shoe that's the, exactly the one you want. But there are many different menus, which means that they reflect the different ways that people think about buying a shoe. Uh, is, and is it, are you gonna search first by size? Or by gender, it's for men, for women, for kids. Are you gonna uh, do by brand? So they offer you like an alphabet of brands or, you know, a uh, you choose men and then you have clothing and shoes and within shoes, then there are even more categories. But once you get down to the subcategories, they do something that's, that's very nice. They tell you how many hits you're going to get at a subcategory. Say yeah, down at the, uh, the you've, you've gone to shoes and now it says running. And it tells you there are, 120 different running shoes you can buy at Zappos. So you know in advance, how bad is it? How many hits <laughs> in my life are they going to get? And that's called fac- faceted analysis. It, it means you're not forcing someone to actually go in and look at all of them and count them yourself. It anticipates, okay, there are all these These subcategories, and here are how many records we found. So, this is database thinking. It says, okay, there are 120. Now, when you go down, you say, okay, let's go into there. I click that, and it opens up and it says, do you want me to sort by gender, performance, color, brand? And for each of those it says color, there are 16 colors, there are 15 brands, there are performances. So I am filtering down my search in a browse-like way. I'm browsing down the set of possible results in in there. And this is called faceted analysis. It just means that for every say, so think of, for a particular shoe, there's a record, a database record, and it has a bunch of fields, such as specialty, gender, performance, color, brand, and each one of those has been filled out. And therefore, the system can say, tell me how many shoes with the Nike brand that are running shoes are available before I even click it and say, show me, show me these things. That would be a big help in these sites where there are many answers and many products, many applications, many categories. The, the, is in a way to think database. It's not, some of these searches almost are document based, they're, they're thinking Okay, we're gonna. We have a single question and answer. That's a document. We're gonna give it to you. And here's a list of all the documents. Good luck. Right. But it, it's disappointing to the to the user. So, how would you go about solving that problem? One way is by hand. You go back to every record you have and you you say these are the categories that we think people are interested in. Better would be you go to customers and say, okay you're you're in the cloning business, what actions do you take, what tasks do you take, what actions do you perform, okay and what are the terms for those, now let's see where those terms show up in our, all the information that we've got, so that we can find them for you later, um, that means you're building a persona, a picture of each type of customer, usually a scientist of a certain level and interest, and what are they interested in, what are their tasks, and you take the names of those tasks and build a list. And we, we're going to be sound scientific and call it a taxonomy. It's really an, a hierarchical list of all the concepts that your customers care about. And again, the analogy with Zappos would be, okay, people think in terms of shoes being for men, women or kids, they think of them for some sort of purpose like sports, they think of them from a brand. Okay, all of those are going to be categories in your your taxonomy.
0: Right.
1: And you're going to apply those and somehow by hand or by software, you're going to apply those to all the records in your giant database. And these these companies live and die by databases. So it's not something new. They already have the data, and it's already what we call structured data in that it's, it's, it's well-organized to a point. It's just they need to go a little farther because they've got so much of it.
0: Okay. So I want to stop you there. So I'm going to... St- include that in the podcast even though when I first asked you that I was just trying to understand where you were going to go but now that you've said that and I will figure out how to make this work in the audio (laughs) but now you've introduced that topic and I think it was a a brilliant example of you go to a site and you search and now you're going to find out that you're going to get some unimaginable number of records and hopefully but unlikely that the search mechanism on the site is as brilliant as Google is at figuring out what you actually meant yep. and and you're gonna be overwhelmed and you've um, given an example of zappos where you get to see how many records you're going to have to dig through to find what you want and so we're talking about content uh, structured content as data so that's that's the topic for today really is is yes. thinking about your content as data yeah. and how you organize it and you I think you mentioned XML but that's how we uh, that was the original reason I connected with you I read an article about create once publish everywhere on the ACPLS blog so now let's let's talk about that content as data and then describe XML because I think people have likely heard of it they may have even seen it it looks a little like HTML but it does something somewhat differently so if you would explain that that whole idea of content as data and what is XML and how it works
1: yeah sure so uh, XML is the extensible markup language so markup we're familiar with markup is things like uh, you, you circle something and you tell the, the writer, this should be in italics. In X, in HTML, we put tags around content. In XML, the tags are just a little more meaningful than in HTML. The tag says emphasis, and that means it should, to the style sheet, it, it should be bolted. we're categorizing the information in XML XML is just a a machine for developing tags. It lets you say, okay, this is a biography, and this is a book about the person, or this is the package insert, and in the package insert, this is the result of the FDA analysis. So that later, we as humans, we can find it quickly by looking at those tags, but also software can come back later and say, oh, let's excerpt this FDA analysis and we'll use it over here in our brochure. So the XML tag lets software find the particular piece of content. Compare it with HTML where all it says is H1, heading, paragraph. It, it doesn't say what the paragraph is about. What XML does is lets you create tags that meaning give meaningful labels to your content, such as, as this is, the topic here is cloning, and in this section we're doing the introduction to it, and here is, the, here is an application, and each of those would be a tag.
0: That so you that get to either, make, right? So that's one difference, is you, you, get, you define the tags. Exactly, because for your particular business,
1: now these days, because XML's been around for quite a while, each industry has its own set of tags that you can start with, and that generally, if you're in a large, medium to large company, the IT folks know where to get this list of tags, and they know how to create the tags. You're, you already have a source of tags in your database. The thing about da- databases these days is, they can export anything into XML, and they can take anything that's written in XML and bring it into the database very easily. Hit a button and in it goes. Why is that? It's because the tags appear in a hierarchy. Um, Say you have and your database record has a hierarchy too. There's the record and then inside it there are fields. In In an XML document, there's the major topic of the document and under that a series of other topics that are going to be covered, that those labels, those tags correspond to field names in the database, one for one, letter for letter. So the database looks at the, looks at the XML document and says, oh, I recognize all of these tags, and I will just grab whatever is between the tags you know how in HTML there's like an opening tag and a closing tag, the database says, oh, I I know where I am. I'll take the content that's between those two tags and I'll say that's the value to put in my field. And so it can zip through a whole XML document and rip it all off and put it into a database very easily. And in turn, you can reconstruct or you can have the database output from a set of records into an XML document, which is basically all text. It's text only. It's not formatted. It is not a Word document. It's not not yet a PDF. It's just text. That means that any software can then manipulate that text document to make it look pretty. You can use a style sheet in your web server to deliver it XML page, if you want, or you can use another piece of software to turn it into a PDF with formatting. So the the value of XML is that it, it's it's neutral as far as what it looks like. It it is not. It has no information about formatting, so it's not like a Word document that has thousands of Microsoft tags hidden behind the scenes. When you press return in a Word document, if you ever get a chance to look at behind the scenes, there's like 40 different tags that apply to that paragraph, they're all about format, that the margin is one inch, you're using Gill Sans, 14 point, it's bold, it's red, all of that information is hidden in that little paragraph return at the end of a paragraph in Word. All of that is junk as far as a database goes. It is of no interest to the database. All it cares about is what is the value of the text that I have to put in a field. Okay. And that's where XML okay. helps.
0: So I want to, so now we have an idea of what XML does, how it works. Now let's talk a little bit about how we can use it. So I'm thinking I know you've talked about using this in technical manuals to assemble uh, information and maybe different customers of a company want um, different versions of a manual, but of course you want the same technical content. But let's talk about it from the point of view of marketing content. What kinds of, how do you see it being used there if people could do something similar?
1: There's not a sharp distinction in the scientific world between technical information and marketing. Sure. A scientist, a scientist buys based on what they like to think of as facts. They, they need a lot of information, a lot of data, and they're comparison shoppers. If they don't get the information from you, they're going to go next door and look, and if they get the information there, they'll feel more confident. Now. As we've just talked about, it's hard to find that information, and they would like to be able to pinpoint just the the key facts that they think for themselves are the most important. Now, there are two stages. First, they have to find them, and second of all, they have to assemble them in some form that they can share with their colleagues, go to their boss and say, I want to buy this, and here's why, and here's the long printout, of all the material that makes the case for this one person buying this one product from you. That means, you know, in effect they need to be able to first find the right records in the database and then export them into XML and have that XML assembled by you into a nice PDF document that looks pretty and they can print out and take to their boss. The first problem is finding the information. The second problem is formatting it, which is relatively simple if you have tags. You say things like, oh, it says that the name of this document is such and such. That seems to be a title, so we'll make that 24-point bold. Uh, This section, called additional details, seems really less important. So we're going to just make it regular text Um, and 12 point and uh, it's not, it's going to appear less important because the formatting is less important. In that way, if we can let people find the right, the, the information that they personally want, we should be able to offer them the chance to assemble that in a bundle, call it a document, an XML document, is what it would first appear as, and then say, format it nicely as a PDF, and software can do that. It's really, that is not a complex task. Whatever we see these days on a website is being formatted by a style sheet. The same thing would be true here. Use the style sheet basically says, oh, additional details, formatted 12 point, gill Gil says, and uh, that's it. So, what we're looking at, the the biggest challenge is to uh, figure out how to help people find the information.
0: Yeah, so I'm curious about that. Um, so, first of all, I love your, you have a very customer-centric approach to providing that information. Um, And so I love that customer-centric approach. I was thinking of this more from a marketing point of view. So from my point of view and helping content marketers create content more efficiently, I think there's an opportunity there, right, is to put your content as data into um, XML and then use that to assemble documents based on what you think a customer needs. And I don't even know if we need to talk about that. I mean, I think if they understand this concept, that could certainly be done. I'm curious to hear more about um, how a customer comes to the site and would they simply ask a number of questions that would end up in a document being assembled for them? Um, what does that look like? Yes. Yeah. Um, so
1: um, let's start off by uh, helping someone develop a profile, some picture of them. And that means we're going to ask them a number of questions in order to get a better sense of who they are. Like at a, um, at, at, the very least, we want to know things like, um, what kind of application are you doing? And check one, is it epigenetics, glycobiology, sequencing? What is it? Just check one. Okay, so now we know what application you're in. Tell us a little more about the tasks that you personally perform and hopefully we have a list of those for each each one. Say, here are the, here are the 10 major things you do in cloning. Please click whichever ones you do. Okay, so now we, we're we saying, look, this is going to help you find the information that you want and we secretly under our your voice we're saying, and it helps us know how to target you. But it's like a profile in any site, e-commerce site. The more that we know about the customer, the more the customer finds it convenient because we can get past a lot of irrelevant stuff that we don't care about. I'm into cloning. I don't want to hear about protein analysis. Just, and please forget the protein expression. I know it's exciting. You've got some new stuff. I don't care. So a profile is critical for personalizing the information. It helps us know what you would want. Um, Yeah. And so, again, what we're looking at here is developing a sense of for each of the application areas that, that we already market to, what are the tasks that they do, the, the major actions that somebody performs in their language so that we can speak in their terms but also that we can say, okay, you've you've mentioned two things here, now which of these would you like to know about? And now we run our search and find only documents that relate to that, only information that relates to that. It, Um, I I think it's helpful for marketing folks to always think of Amazon.
0: Yes. Other
1: people who bought this book bought this. That's a data driven site. It markets the heck out of everything. But it does it because it offers you a sense that they, they know you personally. They know what you've bought. They know what you've looked at. They know what you've reviewed. And based on that, they're saying, here are some suggestions. And often, it's the suggestion that you really want, not the item that you search for. In the, and so, serendipity counts here. And in marketing, we want to be able to, you know, tell answer their question directly, but we also want to say, by the way, you might also be interested in these things. And again, the profile, helps us sort through our own data before we
0: display it to you
1: over the web.
0: Right. I love that. So it's it's really a new... This is way more of a new way of thinking about content and XML and structured um, data than I had even envisioned where the... Um, so I, I had this idea you and I discussed it before. And when I work with my clients, I try to get them to think of all the questions a customer might ask about their product. And, yeah. um, and then to create an answer to each one of those questions by itself, and then figure out how those could be assembled. So we're really talking about very similar things here. And then create their content based on that, based on, and also what, types of content people might be looking for in other words webinars or application notes or so on you're taking that a step further and just letting customers build a profile and ask questions and serve custom content to every single individual based on their interests and need
1: yeah that's the goal obviously it's not something you can snap your fingers and do <laughs> right, uh, yeah. right away the, the good news is Most of these companies are built around a database, actually several databases. So because they have information carved up into tiny little chunks, each one of which sits in a record with a bunch of fields, it, it is mostly a change in the way we think about the marketing material that we produce. Instead of us lecturing the, the user on features and benefits. It's the user asking us what we have, what we can do for him or her given our product line. And so it's more, it, it, it's odd. It's all this data, but it's more of a conversation where the, the customer gets to talk to us and say what they want much more than uh, the old way where we'd be in a a marketing session and we've done our personas and we've done our demographics and we think we know what they want and so we produce materials that appeal to people who've got those problems, those needs and we stress those features. Yeah. Well, okay. Sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't. The part of the problem is is one that in different companies, people have different roles. They don't all do the same thing at company A, B, and C. And if we think as marketeers, we're marketing to a a person who uh, is a cellular analyst. Our picture of that person is limited. It's fixed, whereas the actual human being who's coming in, who does cellular analysis is also really interested in something else, and we can't anticipate what they do, their tasks, their actions, we also can't anticipate which concepts, that is, terms like epigenetics, that they, those, this particular person would care about. So, in effect, we're saying, great, we have a lot of stuff for you, and we, you know, just tell us a little about yourself so we can help you get the information you need, because we know you've got a meeting in 20 minutes, the printer's down, the network's flailing, and you've got to present your ideas to the boss in 20 minutes. We don't want to waste your time. We'll just give you the stuff you need.
0: I love that. So let's, I want to wrap this up talking about one more thing. So. You mentioned in the article that I first read that when you assemble content in this way, um, it it has a different feeling because it it wasn't written with transitions between sections and so on. And I'm curious where you see that going, how that's going to improve. And when you and I spoke before, I mentioned...
1: It's staccato.
0: Yeah. Now... I mentioned the example before I used to listen to weather radio when I was doing a lot of sailing, and obviously there was a machine reading text in a very mechanical way. Now I ask a question to Siri on my phone, and she talks to me in the same way you would. Somehow that software has learned how to speak. Can a software learn how to transition so that the content that we deliver in a written form sounds more like a story or more natural than it currently does. Is that a possibility?
1: Yes, I think so. And oddly, it's because of this data approach. Um, You know, it's like we asked Siri something, now Siri asks us back, like, which application are you particularly interested
0: in? Right.
1: Now we know from phone menus how awful this can be. But increasingly, we we can do it that way uh, better than these the chat people. But we also have to write scripts for the chat people. All of this is what what the IT folks would call a branching diagnostic. Like you come in and you say, I. I'm looking for something in the area of cloning, now we ask you this, you respond to that, we say fine, okay, this is the area that we're going to go to. At that point, we give our rap about that particular product or about the background on it, and we open ourselves up to natural language questions like, what does the FDA say about this? Or, I've got a particular situation here, what's this? So that a lot of what we're going to be Providing to the scientists and researchers is facts. It's numbers. It's it's data. So they at that point they just want the facts. They're very suspicious of what they call marketing. They're 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 quite impatient with anything that has a lot of adjectives and that talks marmally about oh oh, you know, it's, it's an enterprise-wide solution, they could care less. They, but they do want answers to their questions. So I think as long as we can chunk this material so that it does answer particular questions or, or directs them to a particular page in a site, we will be responding to them in the way that they want. The, the, what we're using, where things seem staccato particularly, is okay we write a whole brochure, or we, say we assemble one of these XML documents we were talking about, the pieces were not written in sequence. So one thing comes after another and doesn't appear to be uh, flowing. Uh, That's painful for us as writers and as marketeers, but for your customer it's not so painful. It's the good stuff. And all that fluff, with you know the stuff we work on hours and hours. Yes. All that that verbal stuff gets is eliminated, or at the best it goes at the end, where we put in the standard boilerplate about how wonderful our company is and how we're eager to serve. That goes at the end, but first all this, these factoids, these tables, all that stuff goes in at the beginning, and again. It's serving it's it's not beating the customer with you know um, slogans it's saying you've expressed interest in this here are the facts what else would you like to know it's it's like marketing in, in nouns and verbs not adjectives
0: I love that I mean it's uh, it you've opened my mind to a new way of, of doing things and it's really it's more customer-oriented than I imagined. So um, I really I really appreciate this conversation. Um, I've learned a lot. It's It didn't go quite where I thought it was going to go. I mean, in general, it did. But I definitely learned a few things that I did not expect from this conversation. So Jonathan Price, I really want to thank you very much for your time today. And um, I'm looking forward to putting this one up on the website.
1: Okay, thanks a lot. It's good to talk to you.
0: And thank you, listeners, as always, very much for joining us. Remember that a rating or review on iTunes is very much appreciated, and I will talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.